Welcome to Bandcamp. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Dan, and this is a podcast where we read banned books and try to figure out why in the heck they were banned in the first place. And this season, we are reading Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, one chapter at a time, out loud. Um, There will for sure be spoilers ahead. In fact, just in the uh, recap from the last episode, we got a pretty major spoiler that we're going to talk about. So if you have not read the book yet, you might want to go back to uh, season two, episode one and catch up, or we're just going to jump into it. Thanks, Dan. And then before we do that, can you give us a quick recap of what we covered in the last episode? And the war began and ended in a second. (laughs) Perfectly stated. (laughs) So with that being said, let's begin and probably for the last time with this book. By the way, seeing that this is probably the last time, there had better be some reasons to ban this book, or this has been a big... (laughs) Feudal exercise, huh? Yeah. Montag, lying there, eyes gritted shut with dust, a fine wet cement of dust in his now shut mouth. Gasping and crying, now thought again, I remember, I remember, I remember something else. What is it? Yes, yes, part of Ecclesiastes. Part of Ecclesiastes and Revelation. Part of that book. Part of it. Quick now. Quick before it gets away. Before the shock wears off. Before the wind dies. Book of Ecclesiastes. Here. He said it over to himself silently, lying flat to the trembling earth. He said the words of it many times, and they were perfect without trying, and there was no Denim's dentrifice anywhere. It was just the preacher by himself, standing there in his mind, looking at him. There, said a voice. The men lay gasping like fish laid out on the grass. Oh, so I guess the bomb kind of got to them too, physically. Knocked them yeah, off the, their buns. That was the concussion, yeah. They held to the earth as children hold to familiar things. No matter how cold or dead, no matter what has happened or what will happen, their fingers were clawed into the dirt and they were all shouting to keep their eardrums from bursting, to keep their sanity from bursting, mouths open, Montag shouting with them, a protest against the wind that ripped their faces and tore at their lips, making their noses bleed. Geez, so they really got hit with it too. I thought it was far enough away, but geez. I mean, well, they were close enough to see the city. Wow. It was faint, but... Still, you got quite a reach. Montag watched the great dust settle and the great silence move down upon their world. And lying there, it seemed that he saw every single grain of dust and that he heard every cry and shout and whisper going up in the world now. Silence fell down in the sifting dust and all the leisure they might need to look around to gather the reality of this day into their senses. Montag looked at the river. We'll go in the river. He looked at the old railroad tracks. Or we'll go that way. Or we'll walk on the highways now. And we'll have time to put things into ourselves. Oh, wow. So it's all gone. Yeah. Like before all the worries that he had being chased by the mechanical hound and all that stuff, it seems like a... That's all gone, huh? Yeah, done. Well, they should have buried the books then somewhere in the wilderness. You know, you're not wrong. Like, think about so far then like kind of everything that happened, like Montague going on this killing rage, rage and killing... Beatty and like, eh, big deal. It did not matter. He would have been dead within a day anyway. The only thing that did matter, and uh, 
it's kind of a big one is we can be thankful to Mildred for turning him in. Oh, that is true. Well, let's all take a drink to the memory of Mildred. Cheers to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not. Cause the drinks bring back all the memories of everything we've been through. Should we share our favorite Mildred moments? I guess for me, it's when he's throwing up and she's like, why are you doing that? I'm going to miss how she just ran out of the house when Beatty and the crew showed up to burn it down. And she didn't even say bye to Montag. Rest in peace, Millie. We'll miss you. And someday, after it sets in us a long time, it'll come out our hands and our mouths. And a lot of it will be wrong, but just enough of it will be right. We'll just start walking today and see the world and the way the world walks around and talks, the way it really looks. I want to see everything now. And while none of it will be me when it goes in, after a while, it'll all gather together inside and it'll be me. Look at the world out there, my God. My God, look at it out there, outside me out there beyond my face, and the only way to really touch it is to put it where it's finally me, where it's in the blood, where it pumps around a thousand times, ten thousand times a day. Pumps around a thousand times? Ten thousand? Why is everything a thing with this guy? I don't know. I'll get hold of it so it'll never run off. I'll hold on to the world tight someday. I've got one finger on it now. That's the beginning. The wind died. The other men lay a while on the dawn edge of sleep, not yet ready to rise up and begin the day's obligations. It's fires and foods. It's thousand details of putting foot after foot and hand after hand. They lay blinking their dusty eyelids. You could hear them breathing fast, then slower, then slow. Montag sat up. He did not move any farther, however. The other men did likewise. The sun was touching the black horizon with a faint red tip. The air was cold and smelled of a coming rain. So it really is apocalyptic. Yeah. Wow. Silently, Granger arose, felt of his arms and legs, swearing, swearing incessantly under his breath. (laughs) So he's still a human. (laughs) Yeah. Tears dripping from his face. He shuffled down to the river to look upstream. It's flat, he said a long time later. City looks like a heap of baking powder. It's gone. And a long time after that, I wonder how many knew it was coming. I wonder how many were surprised. And across the world, thought Montag, how many other cities did? Oh, so was this a a worldwide bombing destruction? Why? Who's doing this? I don't know. Who are the bombardiers? Who are the bombardiers, Jennifer? I don't know. I mean, that part... This is probably never going to be explained in the book. It's just part of, it just happened. It's just, that's what it is. Everything has to start over. Huh. Wow. Someone struck a match and touched it to a piece of dry paper taken from their pocket. Ooh, that's interesting. And shoved this tiny bit of grass and leaves. And after a while, added tiny twigs, which were wet and sputtered, but finally caught. And the fire grew larger in the early morning as the sun came up and the men slowly turned from looking upriver and were drawn to the fire, awkwardly, with nothing to say, and the sun colored the back of their necks as they bent down. Granger unfolded an oilskin with some bacon in it. We'll have a bite. What, he's holding bacon in his inside pocket? 
<laughs> what you have to understand about hobo life, Jennifer, <laughs> is that they always have three things. Tin can for coffee. <laughs> they've got beans and they've got bacon. Oh. That's it. That's what you, that is, those are the three things you get when you sign up and get your hobo card. We'll have a bite, then we'll turn around and walk upstream. They'll be needing us up that way. Someone produced a small frying pan, and the bacon went into it, and the frying pan was set on the fire. Got to admit, even after this bomb levels uh, half of the world, this music makes you happy. (laughs) You gotta get up, fry some bacon, and start on your Just way. Start Grab dancing. your bindle. <laughs> it is great to be alive. After a moment, the bacon began to splutter and dance in the even the bacon's happy and dance in the pan, <laughs> and the sputter of it filled the morning air with its aroma. The men watched this ritual silently. Granger looked into the fire. Phoenix. What? There was a silly damn bird called the phoenix back before Christ. Every few hundred years, he built a pyre and burned himself up. He must have been first cousin to man. But every time he burnt himself up, he sprang out of the ashes. He got himself born all over again. And it looks like we're doing the same thing. Over and over. But we've got one damn thing the phoenix never had. We know the damn silly thing we just did. We know all the damn silly things we've done for a thousand years. And as long as we know that and always have it around where we can see it, someday we'll stop making the goddamn funeral pyres and jumping in the middle of them. We pick up a few more people that remember every generation. He took the pan off the fire and let the bacon cool and they ate it slowly, thoughtfully. Now, let's get on upstream, said Granger. And hold on to one thought. You're not important. You're not anything. Someday the load we're carrying with us may help someone. But even when we had the books on hand a long time ago, we didn't use what we got out of them. We went right on insulting the dead. We went right on spitting in the graves of all the poor ones who died before us. We're going to meet a lot of lonely people in the next week and the next month and the next year. And when they ask us what we're doing, you can say, we're remembering. That's where we'll win out in the long run. And someday we'll remember so much that we'll build the biggest goddamn steam shovel in history and dig the biggest grave of all time and shove war in and cover it up. Come on now, we're going to build a mirror factory first and put out nothing but mirrors for the next year and take a long look in them. There has been a dramatic pickup in swearing. I think it's all Granger. That was Granger's longest. No, it wasn't his longest speech, but he is pretty fired up. You get some bacon in this guy. He is like, blah, 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 blah. Loves to talk. They finished eating and put out the fire. The day was brightening all about them as if a pink lamp had been given more wick. In the trees, the birds that had flown away quickly now came back and settled down. Montag began walking and after a moment found that the others had fallen in behind him, going north. He was surprised and moved aside to let Granger pass, but Granger looked at him and nodded him on. Montag went ahead. He looked at the river and the sky and the rusting track going back down to where the farms lay, where the barns stood full of hay, where a lot of people had walked by in the night on their way from the city. Later, in a month or six months, and certainly not more than a year, He would walk along here again, alone, 
and keep right on going until he caught up with the people. But now there was a long morning's walk until noon. And if the men were silent, it was because there was everything to think about and much to remember. Perhaps later in the morning, when the sun was up and had warmed them, they would begin to talk or just say the things they remembered. To be sure they were there, to be absolutely certain that things were safe in them. Montag felt the slow stir of words, the slow simmer. And when it came his turn, what could he say? What could he offer on a day like this to make the trip a little easier? To everything there is a season, yes. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Yes, all that. But what else? What else? Something, something. And on either side of the river there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her... This doesn't seem like Bradbury here. No, it doesn't. It might be a quote, because it's in italics, but it's not in quotation marks, so... Anyways, this is what it says in italics. And on either side of the river was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Yes, thought Montag, that's the one I'll save for noon. Oh, that must be out of Ecclesiastes. That's from the book. For noon, when they reached the city. Oh, that's the end of the book. Got a piece of paper folded up. I'm reading each line as it goes. Oh. That's how the book ends. They're walking towards the city. That's, right. that's the end of the book. Hey, well, <laughs> I don't know what to say. All right. Well, we did it. We we read Fahrenheit 451 for the first time. And boy, what, was, a, what a crazy story. We went from was the Was it beginning. banned because there's no ending? <laughs> how indecent not to add a, an ending. What are your immediate thoughts? I mean- I'm glad I read the book. It's a scary book. It's a warning, I feel like, that we can't lose sight of our real place in the world. Like, he, you know, in the last few pages, he kept mentioning you're not important. And a lot of times humans seem to think that they're the most important thing in the universe. Right. I think that's not great. That causes a lot of the problems we're having. You know, it's like a, a terrifying fairy tale. Well, it's a warning. And I've heard it been called a warning before but it wasn't a pleasant read i'm gonna just have to be honest it to kill a mockingbird there were lots of light moments and i feel like the beginning of the book there was a little bit of comedy it could have been a little lighter is very is a very serious book i mean i feel like the fact that it was delivered in such a guess shaking your finger at you type of way makes me Mm. it it feels a little bit polemic is that the word yeah yeah like yeah, he yeah. knows more yeah. than us. He's, he's so wise and he's telling us what our faults are. I agree with him on, on all the faults, but yeah, I wasn't happy reading the book. It was just so scary and sad and terrifying. Well, and longtime listeners might remember the first, the very first episode like when, when you came up with this idea for doing the podcast, I wanted to come along because I like to think I'm a relatively smart guy, not super smart. I'm kind of adult, but I was always interested in reading To Kill a Mockingbird, but I was too intellectually lazy to read it. And I am mad about that. I okay. wish after hearing you read the book, I wish I would have yeah. read the book and I want to read the book myself or I want to watch the movie. I want to be so immersed into that world because you did a fantastic job reading it. I mean, it's just a wonderful book. Yeah. This. I am still intellectually lazy, and I am so thankful that you read this book to me so I did not have to. 
but now I can say I read it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure lots of people love the book, and I, I, I did enjoy it. it. It just wasn't a pleasure. It was not a pleasure to read. That <laughs> was just so serious. I want to figure out why the book was so serious. And I think a good way we could do that is look at what was happening in the United States in 1953. That is a very good idea to try to get some kind of context. And might I suggest, Jennifer, yeah, that we start the next book. With the timeline. Yeah, looking at what's happening in the world around the author. So it was 1953, and Ray Bradbury was an American citizen. He was 33 years old. Oh, wow. So he was pretty Ooh, young. Young guy. So did he fight in World War II? Nope. Okay, well, it wasn't like a conscripted war, so maybe he just didn't join the service. But mm-hmm. in any case, if you're 20 during that, that's like got to make a an impact. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so in 1953 in the, in the United States, Harry Truman on January 7th announces that the United States has developed a hydrogen bomb. So obviously that was an influence, right? Oh, yeah. So that was 1953. Also, the CIA sponsored a panel for the first time to discuss the UFO phenomenon. So now we've got aliens in the mix. It didn't make its way into the book, but I'm sure the government making a panel to talk about UFOs for the first mm-hmm. time, that's different. Yeah. Fahrenheit 451 is considered a science fiction dystopian story. It's sci-fi. Yeah. So, I mean, when you all of a sudden, they say, so anyway, there are these things, flying saucers and everything, that probably just upped everyone's interest in science fiction. Right. So that definitely would have had a- Made an impression. Yeah. Like people were looking skyward. Now, I haven't read it, but I know he also wrote other stories. Like he wrote a book or a story called The Martian Chronicles. Oh, that was him. We're still in January. January 19th, 68% of every television, of all televisions in the country, was tuned into I Love Lucy to watch Lucy give birth to a baby. So like nearly 70% of the entire population was watching this same one thing. So that was in the book, like almost all the people watching the same thing on the screen. Still in January, The Crucible was written by Arthur Miller as an open allegory of McCarthyism. So people are starting to fight back against, what do you call McCarthyism? I mean- Political persecution? Yeah, political persecution. That's a perfect way to say it. So that kind of made its way in the book. Also, February 19th, Georgia approves the first literature censorship board in the United States. So that's a huge, that's, I mean, I'm sure that influenced him. Mm -hmm. Censorship board. Also, what else happened? Oh my God, this is so recent. In 1953, The Department of Health, Education, and Welfare began operating. We had nothing before that? No. Holy cow. There were two major tornadoes. Each one killed about 115 people. So he did talk a little bit about how nature can just take it all away in a snap. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, the CIA approved the use of LSD in the MKUltra project. That's interesting. Mind control. Yep. Okay. Um, Another tornado killed 94 people. It was the year of tornadoes. Oh, the first Chevy Corvette is completed in Flint, Michigan. So there's a fast car. All these cars going too damn fast. (laughs) The Korean War ended. So your dad was in the Korean War. I wonder how that made it in. What else happened? 
Uh, not much else happened. Tito Jackson was born. Tito, get me some tissue. <laughs> Jermaine, stop teasing. I think when you combine all of this stuff, the Cold War, Red Scare, all that stuff, that time period really did make for a little perfect pressure cooker. And pressure he baked cooker. A, he baked a delicious meal out of it. Yeah. Well, anyways, that, yeah, you can see, you can see the imprint to borrow one of his phrases that was left on Bradbury's brain from what was happening in society. What do you think overall? Did you, did you like it? I mean, I enjoyed reading the book, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't a pleasure. And I'm sure I would not be happy in 1953 as a person living. No, I don't think I would either. I wonder how Bradbury felt about his books being taken off the shelves. Considering the subject matter of Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> of all of the research that I found, it seemed to me that he believed that his books and pretty much all literature should be a means of exploring ideas, even if those ideas were like controversial or challenging. He seems to really hate technology. I heard that he didn't even have a driver's license. Oh, that's interesting. But he always... In a lot of the interviews that I've read, I noticed that he always said that Fahrenheit 451 isn't necessarily about censorship, but it's just more about how much he hates big TVs. <laughs> I do not know what he would do if he walked into a Best Buy on Black Friday. I think he, his head would just pop. Um, I found this really cool interview on YouTube. I'm going to play it. I'll give these guys credit. In our show notes, you should check out the entire interview. But it, it's interesting for two things. Uh, first, he necessarily wasn't fighting against censorship. He was afraid of people turning into dum-dums. And secondly, what I really love about this is he was talking to teachers and librarians about what they can do when Fahrenheit 451 or any other book gets banned. Check this out. I wasn't worried about freedom. I was worried about People being turned into morons by TV. See, we've never had censorship in this country. We've never burned books. There are temporary lapses, like uh, McCarthy wanted certain books taken off the shelves. And uh, Eisenhower said, put the books back. So it was a you know, few days. I get letters from teachers all the time saying, uh, my books have been banned temporarily. I said, don't worry about it. Put them back on the shelves. And they, they come in and find them on the shelves again. And he was saying, gee, how did they get back on there? And you keep putting them back and they keep taking them off and you finally win. But be very quiet about it and you do the job. You're the librarian. You're the teacher. Stand firm and you'll win. And they always do. So Fahrenheit's not about censorship. It's about the moronic influence of popular culture through local TV news and the proliferation of giant screens and uh, the bombardment of factoids. They tell you when Napoleon was born, but not who he was. So it doesn't matter about the date. You should never memorize dates to hell with that. So we've moved into this period of history that I described in Fahrenheit 50 years ago. Yeah. And I, I'll agree with Ray Bradbury. Like we, we are in trouble in a lot of ways because of lack of critical thinking. That is yeah. like the major issue we're facing still to this day. And it is For really sure. scary. Well, I mean, I choose to believe in alternate facts, and those seem to work the best <laughs> for me. Just think, it, was it this book or the last book where you're like, if people would just think two steps beyond. Maybe on a different planet, facts work differently. I don't, it doesn't matter, you know, 
we're, we live on this planet and uh, yeah. we die on this planet. <laughs> it's time for PPP, problematic points to ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? I mean, we, we read about why, you know, why they said it was. They said um, bad yeah. language. War is hell. Probably not banned worthy because of it. Been mm. plenty of great books of war that have not been banned. There was, it did ramp up. There were some swear words in this one. I, I mean, not a lot though. I mean, in all seriousness, if country blows up, you'd think there'd be a few more. I, I would have dropped <laughs> a few F bombs. I can promise you that. <laughs> I don't but, know. Granger was pretty worked up with all those dams. Yeah, all those dams. But they weren't. G damned. They weren't goddamned. And I think he wasn't too worked up because he knew he had some bacon and an oil skin right in the back pocket <laughs> right when he needed it. Right. Attention. Attention. This is a major GD MFing announcement. Jennifer and or Daniel are about to say something they consider important. Okay, go on. Quickly now. You have their attention. Oh, that seems like a you made it a little more serious than I think it needed to be, Robot. But uh, so we will not be back until September 12th. So we're taking a week off. But then we are kicking off season three of Bandcamp. And what are we going to read, Jennifer? The Outsiders by S.C. Hinton. Yes. Yeah, so if you were a, a young greaser growing up in the 60s in Tulsa, Oklahoma, this is just for you. <laughs> I think everyone else will enjoy it, too. You don't have to be a grease. So come along as we read The Outsiders, beginning September 12th, and everyone have a nice and pleasant Labor Day weekend. Oh, I've been working my ass off, Jennifer. I deserve a break. I know you have, Dan. You don't look so good. You thrashed. <laughs> okay. 